You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, it's Russ from My Hammers 11. I hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing, hitting that bell icon. Don't forget to hit the bell icon so you're made aware of any time we put new content on. We have videos going up daily, but sometimes two, three times a day. Every interview, every guest, every memory is priceless and I won't want to miss any of them. So please make sure you hit that bell icon. Today's guest, you're, many of you already know him, it's Jim Munro. Hi Jim, how are you? Hi everybody, I'm well Russ, how are you going mate? Not bad. How is um, how's this um, post-apocalyptic time for you? How's this I'll, uh, I'll be quite honest with you. I mean, obviously, when words is your business, having been a journalist for thirty odd years, you could write in a attic with all the windows closed, and as long as you've got some way of sending the words out, you're fine. Um, so yeah, I've been enjoying it. To be quite honest with you, uh, you get to go to work in your pants. Um, I've had, had my little lad running around uh, enjoying having uh, at home as well. So it's because uh, you know, obviously he's been off school. Yeah. So uh, we have our work time uh, and then a bit of FIFA time for lunch, you know, play a bit of FIFA on the Xbox. And it's been great. I've loved it. Yeah, yeah. I, I still haven't improved my FIFA game. I thought, you know, <laughs> you know, all the evenings and and I'm still on Division 10. I'm still crap. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's what it is. But I know, I know what you mean. I mean, I've quite, enjoy, you know, obviously it's horrible if it's happened, but I've, I've yeah. quite enjoyed it as well because I, I haven't got that pressure when it comes to weekends of doing something. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, we got to go out, we got to go and do shopping. Mate, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, to be quite honest, you know, I've got friends who've had a real rough time, as you can imagine, freelance yeah. sports journalists oh, with no sport to cover for three months and, and nothing really to fill the void. It's been pretty tough for some people out there. I've, I've been fortunate, and I've been fortunate, because I've started a new role with a sports agency. Just the timing was just absolutely right for me. So mm. I've been very fortunate. So although I'm, I've got a big smile and I'm saying, yeah, everything's been wonderful, I know there's a lot of people who've been suffering. So of course, extremely grateful that we're in the circumstances we've been in right now, to be honest. Absolutely, definitely, definitely, definitely. And obviously football's back, so <laughs> that's good, isn't it? To a degree. Let's just qualify that. There was still, uh, as Alex Bergson used to say, it's still squeaky bum time, doesn't it? We take one step out and then sort of get back in again. 
Um, but that's the West Ham way. We all know it's the West Ham way. We, and you said I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We don't. We're not in it for the football, are we, Jim? Because no, I've seen five relegations, pal. Five relegations. I was, I was checking earlier, thinking I know it's been a few. Um, so just make sure we don't go above a handful, shall we? <laughs> just keep it at yeah. five, and no more than that. Yeah, as long as we don't go for the half dozen, that's all right. But yeah, I know it's uh, it's yeah. As you said, two steps forward or one step forward, two steps back, and uh, yeah. well, they just like to make it interesting. They like to make sure you know we're, we're tuning in, you know, and watching us against Norwich tomorrow. And uh... <laughs> it comes to something, doesn't it, when we're looking at games against Norwich and Watford and Villa to be our salvation? Uh, in, in reality, you know, if we can get a win out of out of one of those, possibly will be enough. Um, yeah, be interesting. Having had the most points for a team who got relegated. We could find ourselves with the least points for a team that doesn't get relegated. I know, I know. It'd be brilliant. But apparently, if we win, if we win tomorrow, I think that means, based on other results, Norwich could be mathematically relegated yeah, tomorrow. They'll be gone. So, yeah. oh god, so Villa, Villa just keep conceding goals left, right, centre, which is great oh, for us. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, it, it says something when you have to cheer on Spurs. Uh, well, Peering, but yeah, smiling when uh, <laughs> school. Well, I have to say, you know, it's, I, there's been a lot of criticism about substitutions and what David Moyes is doing. But to be honest, when you're bringing on Haller, who just stands and watches the game going around him, he's a big lad. Put yourself about a bit. Right, you've, you've only been on the pitch 15 minutes. Run for a bit. You know, do something. Don't just stand there. It's just driving me potty, but... It I'm is. sure it is everyone else. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and particularly when you see someone like Antonio, he sort of runs his guts out. Oh, and Bowen. Yeah, Bowen as well. Yeah. They both of them run their guts out. And you think, yeah. God, if, if Bowen was two foot taller, he would be, you know, he'd be a fantastic, yeah. you know, forward as well, you know, striker rather than the, oh, the players. I mean, that Burnley game, you know, we, had, we had 10 corners. Uh, Antonio had a chance he should really play yeah. away straight after their goal. Haller, just come on the pitch. Yeah. And through a striker should be putting that kind of chance away. Yeah. That's your meat and drink. If you're a striker, you should yeah. be putting those away. Exactly. But they both were, and the Antonio one, it's almost like they were pl- trying to place it in. Both of them yeah. were trying to be clever. And it's like Nick Pope's a great keeper. You just got to just smack it. Really. It's got to be really a big stool at that moment, hasn't it? Just blast them. Exactly. Just <laughs> blast them. So, so, Jim, obviously, we see the West Ham shirt. We talk about West Ham. Yeah. Why Why is West Ham your club? What's, what's the story? How do you become a. Hammer. I think the uh, um, the real blame lies with uh, with my mum, although she was ever inflicting this uh, upon me. But when I was a kid, um, we moved a lot as a family when I was a youngster, a, a lot. Um, and there's a lot of places I could list off, but in and around London, I don't know if my dad was on the run at the time or why we moved so much, but uh, <laughs> mum was an Epsom lass and um, dad was from Edinburgh. And uh, I wasn't really interested in football till around the age of about seven or eight and um i used to have a kick around obviously I used to enjoy kicking the ball around but in those days there's no sky sports news or anything when he had a little black and white telly um i wasn't really aware that there were there were even teams that existed to be honest at that age and then um it came up to mexico 70 the world cup and someone gave me a mexico 70 uh book with the england squad in it it was the first football book I ever had and um I sort of became aware that there's all these football teams with names of places, you know, Manchester and, and what have you. So uh, at this stage, now we're living in Hemel Hempstead. We moved from Epsom to Hemel Hempstead. So I went to Mum and I said, look, what, what's the local team to here? Who, 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 have Hemel Hempstead got a team? Thankfully, she'd never heard of Watford, so she didn't mention 
Um, and she said, well, I don't know about here. She said, but we used to live near Crystal Palace. I've never heard of Crystal Palace. She says, and we used to live near West Ham. And I thought, I'm sure I've just seen that name in this book. And of course, in the book, you've got Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, and Martin Peters, although he joined Tottenham at that stage. Yeah. still quite a bit about West Ham in there. And I was like, that's my team. But without much, because uh, we'd been on the move so much, I didn't really have any sort of hobbies or any long-standing friends or anything to influence. Dad was just interested in rugby and drinking. He was a typical Scotsman. So, uh, so there was no influence there. So just, it gave me something to identify with, and I really threw myself into it. Jeff Hurst was immediately my, my first favourite player. Um, and true to West Ham form, the first season when I was actually aware of what was going on and you're playing matches and you win some, some week and lose a lot over the next few weeks, we finished 20th out of 22 teams. <laughs> and uh, having stuck with them then, I thought there was no way that I was going to drop my allegiance over the rest of my life. Uh, having witnessed that dross, what I say witnessed, again, you know, there was match of the day on a Saturday evening which I was allowed to stay out and watch now and again. But there was no other uh, sports like with Coleman in the midweek, but they never had any live football on. So you didn't, you learnt a lot of your football through newspapers and, and through books and things um, until you could actually get to the ground. And uh, I managed to do that when I was uh, when I was nine. First game, remember it, not like yesterday, but like a few weeks ago, because it was, it was so vivid. It was just everything, it was in colour for a start and you only had a black yeah. But uh, it was 27th of Jan, 1973. It was a game against Chelsea. That was nine. And in those days, even a London derby, you didn't have, didn't have to have a ticket when you rolled up. You could just play on the gate to get in. But it was rammed. It was rammed to the rafters. And uh, the guy I was with, I, mean, I just remember everything about going in. There's a forest of legs in the back of the stand when everyone's milling around. The smell of burgers and beer that would become so familiar over the years. Um, and then that first glimpse of green as you're going up the steps to see the pitch. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we won 3-1, so it was a great start. Um, Brian Robson scored two goals, which I just didn't see at all. Um, Tommy Taylor scored with a header, which uh, I did see that one, thankfully. And I saw Bill Garner, as a bloke who played for Chelsea, I saw his foot as he tacked in uh, their consolation goal. But the thing that stood out for me as well was uh, in those days, they used to open up the back of the stands with about 15 minutes to go so people could filter away. And we could see in the Chelsea end, a lot of people had started disappearing. So we actually went out the back of the stand and we went into the Chelsea end. You didn't, no idea that you were putting your life at risk or anything. You know, West Ham scarves. Um, and we got right down to the front. So the last 12, 10 minutes of the game, we had a really good view of everything going on right down by the side of the pitch. Well, funny enough, even though the 70s were like meant to be quite a, a dodgy time for, you know, a bit of nasties, no one said anything to us. But, but the best bit was a couple of minutes after we got in there, the best way I can describe this woman is she looked like Doc Cotton of EastEnders. This woman appeared behind us with headscarf on, three bags of shopping. So she'd obviously just been down the market and been doing her shopping, pulled her West Ham scarf out. She must have seen us stood at the front and she came and joined us. So it's the three of us, like two nine-year-old lads and a, and a woman who must have been about 70 stood in the Chelsea end <laughs> during on West Ham. So that, that was my first uh, memory and a very, very vivid and treasured memory as well. Yeah. And you're right. That was it, in a nutshell, but that, that's it. No, nah, it's brilliant, man. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, as I said, we're not, we're not in it for the football. And it is about the experience, isn't it? It is about the, the community yeah. and, and the, the fam, the West Ham family. We always talk about that. But I mean, yeah. that's, I mean that's sort of how this this channel has come about. But obviously, in 
in lockdown, it's been even more apparent, you know, because obviously, you know, part of the you know, the Facebook groups and stuff like that, there's loads of yeah. support and banter going around, and it's almost almost like people are at the ground, but not, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? And I think, well, yeah, we've got no pre-match chat, have we, at the moment? No. So it kind of, it's replaced the uh, few points and a bit of chat before a game. It has. And I, I mean, I've been invited to countless Zoom watch along parties and stuff, which I think is brilliant. It's so funny because you literally, it is just like you're in the, at the pub yeah. or, you know, at the game. But, you know, you just, everyone's taking turns to talk and it's like overlapping each other. Where yeah. in, a, in a pub, everyone would just carry on talking over each other. But um, I think that's the thing. Although football's back and it's great that it's back, back you know, because it gives us something new to moan about. It's it's that sense of that sense of community and seeing your mates and stuff, which I think um, that's yeah. that's obviously lacking. And 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 hopefully, you know, we'll, whenever it will be, um, you know, I was reading but about. It was very important steps. to me as a kid, like you say, and it gave me something to identify with and yeah. something to onto, and and obviously made some great friends over the years as well from travelling to football. And fortunate enough to have my career sort of in journalism, which was just finding an excuse to talk about football. In my adult life, um, so I, you know, I've been, as I said before, very fortunate in the way things have panned out. But if if I hadn't followed West Ham, you know, if I hadn't kicked a football, I, God knows what I've ended up doing yeah. and where. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, we've had stories where people have very similar to you, where they literally, you know, they've been watching match of the day, and their dad says, "What team do you support?" Then, and it, they just looked up and went, "That one." Um, and then 60 years later, they're still supporting the same club. And it could yeah, have been anyone, yeah. you know, you know, it could have been, yeah. you know, could have been Chelsea or Liverpool, but it was West Ham. And uh, yeah. as, you, as you said before you, we came on, you know, you, you've experienced five, was it five relegations? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was at school when we got relegated in 78 and someone came up to me and said, oh, so who are you going to support now then? And I just like, I think I stood there for about five minutes with an open mouth to see what kind of an idiot question is that? Because you do get your fair weather fans who, who like to chop and change depending on who's doing well. Yeah. Again, you know, when I was in that 1970 period, when I was first nailing my allegiances to West Ham, there was a lot of Chelsea fans around because they just won the FA Cup. Yeah. And they all kind of disappeared again through the late 70s and early 80s. Then they suddenly reappeared again. I don't know why. I don't know why on earth these Chelsea fans suddenly started appearing again. Hmm, I wonder why. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a self-confessed glory hunter because I mean, I started watching them in, in the ninety two the, the ninety two <laughs> promotional season. That's why uh, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 need, I was in it for the high life, and you know, I've seen, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've seen promotions, I've seen intertoto cut wins, you know, I've yeah, seen yeah. it all. I've seen it all, Jim. You know, I've, I've lived. Glory. <laughs> we get things like you know QPR and. Well, I suppose Coventry won the FA Cup once. There's plenty of teams out there who've done absolutely nothing with their lives of their existences. Um, we've certainly had plenty of lows, but quite a few highs as well. Um, you know, we've got a few few trophies in the bank. Certainly had a semi-finals and finals to uh, to cheer over, um, and then playoff finals as well. You know, we've had, exactly. We've had I some mean, uh, we've had some good times. Yeah, we have, and I mean, and, and I was talking when I was I interviewed Chris Akapusi, and he was like, talking about Boosie. how yeah, good old Boosie, what a lovely bloke. But he was said, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in it for the long haul at West Ham, and the thing is, you know, we we when we get those highs, so when we beat the Chelsea's or you know when it's our day we revel in yeah. it more because we're not used to doing it and so you know all our Chelsea mates we can go ah, ah, 
like at least once a season. Yeah. If there'd been a camera on me and my lad, my lad's now 13, she's turned 13. If there'd been a camera on us in the living room watching that Chelsea game the other night when the final whistle went, I mean, well, I think we were hugging for about five minutes. It was just like, didn't know what to say. It was just amazing. What a great yeah. feeling. It was. I don't want to talk about Burnley, but, you know, that's, that's the contrast. That's what happens with our club. It's the West Ham way, Jim, isn't it? I mean, as I said, it's like... I, you know, I, I, I'm obviously at the ground and I could see, and, I, and it's a shame, I really wish I'd I'd recorded it on my phone, but I saw Mark Noble, because he wasn't in the squad for the Chelsea game, and he was sat yeah. in the in the disabled area, and literally the joy on his face when that goal yeah. came in, the almost knees on the floor celebration, you know, he, was, he could have punched a hole in that wall, he could have done, and it was just amazing. There's a great picture of uh, it's taken from behind the Chelsea goals. You've got Yarmolenko and he's yeah, because it's focusing on the background, and you can see dotted around all the different West Ham officials and people just like forget social distancing. Everyone's hugging, everyone's punching. It's, cra- it's so it's funny, and it, it's like, and and you know, that's always we laugh about everything that's happened with Restart. Is you know, we talk about the social distancing rules and things like that, and yeah. they're trying to enforce them and drinks breaks and stuff, and you're thinking. <laughs> why on the drinks breaks you know is that just, yeah, it yeah. just seems the most bizarre th- i mean you know it's 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 one rule for one and one for the other but i mean yeah. you know i think that actually i mean and west ham have done actually quite quite well in terms of the setup at the london stadium it works quite well it's quite smooth it takes literally mm. about two minutes for me to get through you know you've got to beep got to get temperature checked and write your thing and that's it and yeah I'm really impressed, actually, by how he, how he, how simple it was. Um, yeah. I've seen some grounds. I've read some articles with some journalists about some grounds, and it's an utter nightmare. <laughs> but for some reason, West Ham have got it right. London Stadium's yeah. got it right. So Good. Um, nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll get this season out of the way. We'll stay out, stay in the league, and then we'll see what happens next season about getting everyone back in. Or you know, yeah. Got to get. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with Haller because we're in forty million quid. What would we get for him right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unlikely we're going to play with two other strikers alongside him, which is obviously when he was showing out well in in Germany. So I don't know where we go with him, but it, it would be nice to see David Moyes given a chance from the start of a season rather than picking up a mess yeah. halfway yeah. through a season. Just just to give him a go. I think he's deserved that. I know there's still got a lot of critics out there. Um, but, you know, we've, we've tried the Real Madrid-type manager with Pellegrini and that worked a little bit. You know, he wanted to do things his own way and then actually you start looking at people like the keeper he brought in and everything. It's like, oh, we don't want another Roberto-type situation. So, you know, give that, I don't like this chopping and changing all the time. I no. do give people a chance. Um, give them a chance, see how we get on. I, I totally agree, and, I, and you can see he's starting to put the obviously the results have been fantastic, but on the last, you know, the the two previous, obviously the, the um, obviously Newcastle game and, and the Chelsea game, but you can see the, there's a blueprint there which I think will work well. You know, the, yeah. getting the players like Jared Bowen in, getting the hungry Championship British-based players as like a spine. Um, you know, he wants his workmen like players in there. Yeah, okay, he does. That, you know, that 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 does work to a degree. I mean, I. The stats have been showing that West Ham have gone from one of the worst teams in terms of fitness before the break to one of the best teams mm. running since lockdown. So he's obviously had the team on. He's obviously managed to sort of get that mentality into them that we're not going to win any matches by standing around. It's just Haller doesn't seem to have picked up on that message. But, but you know, the, there are signs there. Um, there's naivety still there in certain things. But again, yeah. you know, that Burnley game, they're winning goals of 
shoulder to crossbar and goes in. Tarkovsky should have been sent off. There's lots of things you could come out with, you know. Just one of those matches where it just didn't work for you on the day. Nah, nothing was dropping for us, wasn't it? There was a couple of times no. where it was a loose ball and it was almost it was a yard in front of Bowen's foot, and you know where. Yeah. You know, another game. Yeah, he had to double back, didn't he, rather than be able to volley it in. And, yeah. yeah you know, it just There's a big test coming up. We'll see how we get on. We'll see how we got. Anyway, until then, until then, we'll, we're doing this. We're doing this thing called the My Hammers Eleven. So, Indeed, you know, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I would probably assume maybe Haller's not going to be in your eleven, Jim. By, by, oh, by yeah, your... it's still going hard, mate. I tell you. <laughs> Um, so what we do is we pick players and you know it doesn't have to be the best players you can be your favorite players whatever you want to do um the only rule is you have to be alive to have seen them play really so obviously i can't put in bobby moore but i could put in roger johnson for example Seems a fair mix. I always try to get yeah. a really random, a random name yeah, always pops into my All these people I've not considered before. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, if you want more time to think about that, or, or <laughs> maybe maybe the, you know, the inclusion of Gary Breen, or uh, have a uh, yeah. Margas, or uh, Guillermo Franco, I've, feel free. You know, but uh, I've, uh, I've had enough time and enough years, mate. So I mean, that <laughs> fortunately, that's where coming old uh, comes in handy because I have seen uh, quite a few people play. You've got a nice, As I say, you know. But, First match in '73, so uh, it's a long time ago. Yeah, twenty-seven years ago. So, uh, so yeah, come okay. and gone during that time. I'm going to put my reading glasses on just in case. Put your, I forget put your readers on, Jim. Put your readers on. We're going to, we, and then once you've got them, we'll start with goalkeeper. Who's between the sticks yeah. with the Munro eleven? There can only be one man, really. Although there's a, a couple of guys probably need an honourable mention. So obviously, Ludek and Kloschko. Yeah. Great club legends. Um, Rob Green, who um, I was actually had the chance to work with just from a journalistic point of view. He used to write a column for us. Quick Rob Green story, actually. If I start waffling on lots of stories, just stop me if it gets boring. Okay. Quick Rob Green story. I'll take these beans off again. He, um, his first column that he wrote for us, uh, when it arrived, all the words, everything was run together. There was no paragraphs. Um, there's a few spelling mistakes, but obviously hadn't been through any kind of word processing. So I phoned him up and said, Rob, said, what? thanks for your copy. He said, generally it's okay, he said, but it's, it's all running into each other. What, what software are you using? What, what word processing are you using? And he went, oh yeah, Blackberry. I was like, what? He said, yeah, Blackberry. So I typed on my Blackberry. He sat and typed. Do you remember the Blackberries with like the, all the little individual letters? He typed a whole article using his thumb <laughs> on a Blackberry. I said, what? Have you not got a laptop? You know, man of your means and you know, all the uh, um, the finance available to you. Have you not got a laptop with them? So you could easily file it by Wi-Fi. He says, well, I don't have any Wi-Fi. So, well, surely you've got a telephone at home. He goes, I don't believe in BT. I thought it's a rip-off. Like, what? <laughs> How much are you earning? But eventually, he got himself a laptop and filed properly. But to that point, he'd only got a mobile phone and it was a Blackberry and he was doing his little typing. Brilliant. Getting on to my main man, Phil Parks. Yeah. Um, not only just a lovely fella, but it was one of those signings when when we took him on, um, nineteen seventy nine. Mm. It was one of those sort of. It was a shock for two reasons. One, uh, QPR had just been relegated, uh, and it was expected that he would go to one of the bigger clubs, mm. Man United or the Arsenal's or Liverpool's of this world, um, because we were also we were already down. We'd been down for a season. Um, and we paid a world record fee for him. It was like 565000 
so to suddenly be signing the world's most expensive goalkeeper when you were in the tier down from the top division was a bit of a shock, but a welcome. And he didn't let us down. I mean, you look at that period he played in, um, obviously the promotion team only lost four matches. He was in the 80 Cup final team, the 81 Cup final, uh, the 85-86. I mean, he, he was there during that, what you would call like one of the golden periods, uh, if you like. Um, and he was just, he was a colossus in goal. Not as agile as the modern day goalkeeper, obviously. Um, and he's, he had dodgy knees towards the end as well. But I tell you what, if players were running through, they were thinking the parts could come out and absolutely take them out while taking the ball cleanly. Um, and he's, uh, having met him subsequently, he's a lovely fellow as well. So um, it's absolutely no doubt my number one is Phil Parks. Yeah, he'll put Parks in. Good shot. And do you know what? I, I, and that's the thing. I'm, I'm learning all this stuff because I wasn't you know, around during during those times. Sorry, Jim. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, you know, just reiterating, paying a world record sum for a goalkeeper when you're in, in essence, the championship. Yeah. He's mental. Absolutely yeah. mental. But, well, yeah. that's how it felt at the time. It was like, how have we managed to do this? You know, as I say, it's one of those signings where you're like, the, the Tevez Mascarano it was like, you know, where's that come from? Yeah. Uh, and this was uh, was hugely more successful because he was obviously with us for a lot longer. But, uh, yeah, no, I totally get them to move my screen because it's a bit annoying. Right, yeah, no, totally. And, and as you said, I mean, I, I can see parallels. I remember that, that Tevez one. That was always fun. Uh, when it came up on the BBC ticker and you were the talk of the office. <laughs> I was talking of the office that day. And then my yeah. CEO, Russ, he's signed Tevez. Yeah, well, you know, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I'd like to take full credit for, for part I, I used to have a, a running argument with a Newcastle fan at the Sunday Times office about which was the bigger club. And he came up to me that morning and he goes, I'll take it all back. He goes, West Ham's the bigger <laughs> How can I argue with Tevez and Mascarano in one deal? I've never forgotten that. Morning. Oh, brilliant. Right. Go on, Jim. You, 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 you carry on. You carry on. You go for your right. team as you want to. Do you know what, Russ? When I was thinking about this, I was thinking what this team really should be the two Ferdinands. It should be Jermaine Defoe. It should be Michael Carrick. It should be Frank Lampard because they should have been part of our long-term history. They yeah. should have been. They were the youngsters that we had that, my God, can you imagine what it would have been like if we'd held on to that? Joe Cole and missed out as well. All those players in the same team would have just been, oh, but it wasn't to be. So back to reality. <laughs> uh, right back, um, actually someone who played uh, in the same team as Phil Parks, um, Ray Stewart, Tonka. Yeah. I think there's a, a familiar thing comes up. As I was going through some of these players, immediately all their nicknames was coming to mind. I thought, if they've got a nickname, they're obviously around long enough for us to... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's no glossary of nicknames. When I interview the old players and they talk about yeah. their play, their you know their teammates by nicknames. So in Taylor <laughs> Gales, yeah, yeah, I'm going to put Stretch in and I'm going to put Robot yeah. in. And I was like, okay, okay. And, and just hoping I could understand it when he started talking about... Alvin yeah, Martin yeah. Moore or whatever, but yeah, no, it's uh, they're, they're, yeah. you're right. It's, it comes to a, a certain time in a player's career at a club where they get a nickname, isn't it? And as you said, then yeah. that establishes they've been in there for a well. There was a while there were some toy cars around at the time, the Tonka cars that were indestructible. Yeah. So Ray Stewart was Tonka because he was indestructible. I mean, obviously, everyone talks about his his ability from the penalty spot, and um, my God, what a man he was to take a penalty under pressure. Um, that, I mean, some of the ones that just stick in the mind. It, there's a lot of Ray Stewart moments from the penalty spot, 
Um, but FA Cup quarter final, 1980 against Aston Villa, last minute, 0-0, we get a penalty. Puts it away, no problem. League Cup final, 81, again, last minute, Ronnie's gone 1-0 down. He steps up, it's one all. we take them to a replay. And that 80-86 season, the last few games of the season, we were playing like every two or three days. So a lot of pressure on to cram games in. And uh, I think we had, uh, I may be wrong because I've not looked it up, but I think we had Man City and Ipswich at home, um, and then West Bromway on the Saturday, and then the final game was going to be Everton uh, the following week. And both the Man City and Ipswich games, he got um, what turned out to be the winning goals through penalties. Then the West Brom game on the Saturday, we won 3-2, and he got another penalty, so three pins in three games. But that was the one where Liverpool actually won away at Stamford Bridge and they clinched yeah. the title. So we got back to the car thinking, we're still in it. And then obviously found out Liverpool had won the title. But I mean, just he kept the belief going that final week. Um, and he was just, he was a great, I mean, he could ping a pass out as well. He was, he was a great player to have as, uh, as a fullback. Very fit too, very agile. Had a quite a stilted run. It was a bit of a funny run, sort of staccato run, but my body could cover some ground. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, he, and yeah, it's one, it's one of those areas, fullbacks, where we haven't been blessed yeah. with a plethora of, of, of like, you know, people like Ray Stewart. Do you know what I mean? We have one or two, you know, but in, yeah. in my era, not really. I mean, Tim Breaker, maybe, you know, but not Ray, but not, not on the calibre of Ray Stewart. But um, yeah, we'll put Tonka in. Go on then. Who are you going to go next with, Jim? Well, we're going to talk about left back. Uh, you probably won't be surprised to say there's only one guy in my eyes, it's Julian Dix. Yeah. Uh, not called the Terminator for nothing. <laughs> um, the thing about Dixie was, it, it, it's almost like a, a maligning to say that he was just like the hard man in the team. Obviously, Lou McCarry made him captain um, and penalty taker. Um, and those penalties, I mean, once they were hit, they were hit. You know, there were scorch marks on keepers' hands when, those, uh, when the ball went flying in the net. Uh, but he was a good footballer as well. I mean, he could, he could ping a crossfield pass over. Um, again, very fit. It's just now and again, the red mist would come down and he, he, he didn't suffer falls gladly on the football pitch. Um, and that sometimes got the better of him. But, you know, soon he's took him to Liverpool. Must have seen something. I know he needed a hard man. He was trying to build a hard team at Liverpool. But um, it had never got the sanction from Liverpool to sign him if, if they didn't think he could actually play the no. game as well. Exactly. Um and yeah, just as a West Ham fan, you don't ask for much. You just want to see that someone's committed to the cause. And you're not going to find many bigger or better examples than Julian Dix. No, I agree. I agree totally. And also, there's not many fullbacks who could dictate the game and also the crowd like he did. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just like, yeah, yeah. it would be a, a crunching tackle or he would just turn to the, turn to the, you know, the, wherever he was, you know, West Stand or, or, or the chicken run who's playing left back the yeah. other half, and just go, come on. And everyone would literally just, the team yeah. and the crowd would just, and that's not, it's not a glamorous position left back, but he was, no. he, he said he was captain and hearing all the stories about him and the way he trained and, you know, the fact that he had, you know, like, I don't know a can of Coke and a Mars bar and then yeah. would go and play vismerically on the pit. You know, it's just brilliant. Just the whole aura yeah. about the man. No, yeah. big fan. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing as well, being on the, um, in the chicken run, I was, I was in the chicken run for years. Um, and obviously, you're more aware of the wingers and full-backs. And so you get to see all the little slide tricks that he could do as well. You know, he'd be going in for a tackle, and if the referee was over there, he'd have his hand on the guy's shirt here, ready to pull him over. 
which the ref wouldn't be able to see. I mean, some of the little things he used to do, it was, it was, it was fun to see him play. It was just fun to see him play. Yeah, exactly. Right, we've got Judy and him. We've got Ray on one side, Judy on the other. Who's yeah. your neck? You're going forward, going centre-halves? I've got two centre-halves, yeah, two yeah. centre-backs. Uh, number five, because we've, we've done one, two and three. I'm skipping to number five. Yeah. Number four can be in midfield. Number five is uh, Stretch. I've already mentioned him. Uh, yeah. Alvin Martin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know who he is now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's... Uh, his West Ham career, you know, it's sort of late 70s and then all through the 80s. Yeah. I mean, a club captain, yeah, very influential as captain. Solid. I mean, when you, he was the kind of player who you thought, well, okay, he's tidy. He does the job. But he's not, you know, it doesn't do anything too fancy. But when he wasn't there, you noticed. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. noticed when Alvin Martin wasn't on the pitch, sort of leading the, the, the back line. Um, and, of course, he, he got that hat-trick against Newcastle. Um, against three different keepers in the 8-1 win, which is which a fantastic memory uh, to have. Um, and something that I mentioned to that Newcastle fan that I spoke about earlier. Uh, but just, you know, his, his commitment to West Ham and, and catching through that 85-86 season, um, where I, I think they, there was some record to do with clean sheets as well. He's proud of that the rest of us would notice more what was going on up the other end of the pitch. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, just his leadership, it was just... And it's nice to have a scouser. We've got a scouser, because, like, Liverpool in the sort of 70s and 80s were the team to follow. It was like we'd nicked a decent scouser from Liverpool. We'd made him one of ours, you know? So, just all of those factors. Uh, I think he scored on his debut. It was away at Leeds. I remember hearing on the radio that some new guy called Alvin Martin had scored. So, I was picturing some sort of live centre-forward and then found out he was some young centre-back that had come into the team. Uh, but yeah, Alvin, and, and again, he's one of these players who, if he did have a chance in front of goal, he would. The amount of times he would just place the ball, very calm, very calm player, and he, he wouldn't like lash at the ball. He just like place it in the little gap he could see between the goalkeeper and the defender. Yeah, a lot of time for Alvin Martin. Yeah, definitely, and and he's one of those adopted cockneys, I call them. You know, where yeah, yeah. he's not from around these parts, but. You know, he's not, an, he's an out of towner, as Nigel Kahn would say, but yeah. he uh, he just got the club, didn't he? And you know, still lives yeah. around, still lives around, around the I live in Orchard, still lives around here. And you know, he's just one of ours, isn't it? It's funny, it's like it's him, and yeah. Yeah, it's a few where where they sort of have come in, you know, and a, a lot of a lot of scousers as well, really, people like Mark Ward. You know, yeah. he, he came in and now he's very much a West Ham fan, but he wasn't one yeah. of us, you know, so to speak. But no, yeah, but Alvin's, yeah, brilliant, brilliant man. All right, we'll put Alvin in. Who's yeah. he going to partner then, Jim? Number six. So I think you can guess if I say number six, um, it's got to be Matthew Bobby Robson. Moore. What, sorry? Bobby Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get fa- fa- Famously well, retired the shirt, so. That's uh, old programming yeah. itself. <laughs> no, but he started turning up being a pundit on Match of the Day. I was like, oh. <laughs> Uh, no, Bobby Moore. Now, yeah. admittedly, Bobby Moore was playing in that um, game I mentioned, the first game I went to in 72-73. Uh, yep. All I really saw of him was sort of some blonde hair sort of sitting past now and again. I really didn't get much of a view of him at that game, I'm totally honest. Yeah. But I did get to uh, Wembley the following year for an England-Wales game. England won 3-0 and he was captain there. So... I can actually see him this time. Yeah. So I have I've actually physically seen him play. Um, but there's a lot of memories about Bobby Moore. Um, sadly, more around what happened in his final few months and mm-hmm. um, his memorial service. I remember um, 
because we weren't really aware that he was ill. Because I think yeah. only came the last couple of weeks there was actually anything wrong with him. Um, I think England were playing San Marino at Wembley. Um, and after the game, I was with a couple of Sunday Times journalists. Because I'd been at Sunday Times a couple of years then, so I'm still sort of in my sort of infancy, if you like, as a cub reporter. And uh, Jonathan Pierce had been commentating on the game. We got Bobby Moore had been his um, co-commentator. Yep. And the two of them were stood in this kind of hospitality, a fringe of a hospitality area. And a lot of people were being introduced to Bobby Moore. And he was like smiling and shaking hands. But he, he really didn't look like he wanted to be there. He didn't look, he, he honestly didn't look well. And one of the Sunday Times guys said, look, I'll take you over and introduce you. And I said, look, to be honest, he, he looks like he just wants to go. Just, just just, leave it for now. There'll be plenty of other opportunities. Just just leave it for now. And, of course, there wasn't because a few weeks later, sadly, he'd, um, he died. But I also, uh, a very treasured memory, I got to go to the memorial service at Westminster Abbey, wow. which to be inside Westminster Abbey, sat with all this football elite. Obviously, the 66 squad were there. Franz Beckenbauer uh, stood up and, and gave uh, a talk. They played the commentary, the Kenneth Olsenheim commentary, uh, Bobby Moore going to lift the World Cup um, inside Westminster Abbey, sort of bouncing off the ceilings. An amazing, uh, amazing emotional moment. Um, and there's people like Jimmy Tarbuck making people laugh with a few anecdotes, Kenny Lynch and some others. I mean, some of these names might not resonate with you, but at the time, you know, they sort of part of Morrow's crowd, if you like. Um, but even so, still the fan in me couldn't resist going up to Trevor Brooking and Billy Bonds afterwards and getting them to sign the memorial service program. Um, and then uh, and I remember going for a quick wee in the toilet outside and Jimmy Greaves was in there. And I was like, this is just, it's quite surreal. Really? But, but to have shared that that moment with football's elite was, was quite, nice. quite a, you know, almost well, a unique thing. Uh, really. So at that stage, I think there'd only been one other non-royal who'd been allowed to have some sort of service in there. So, so yeah, that, that's quite a treasured memory. And uh, the, the Saturday after he died, I was working at the Sunday Times, but that morning before I went to Wapping, I went down to the grounds. It was about 8.30, quarter to nine in the morning. Wolves. And there was already a load of people there. The gates were covered in um, scarves and shirts and everything. But also, um, I don't know if it was Stoke or Southampton, but a, a coach pulled up and it was some fans travelling to another match. Um, they had red and white stripes on, they had red and white scarves, but they came up and they were putting their scarves on there as well. And, uh, and no one was going, oh, what the hell are you doing here? Everyone was just like, you know, respectful and thanks for coming along and paying your respects and everything. And that was the real feeling of the football world coming together. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of sadness around my Bobby Moore memories, sadly. But, um, but equally, that when I was first in the club, and Jeff Hurst was my favourite player, but all the talk, if ever there was anything to do with West Ham, mentioned on the TV or in the papers, inevitably, it was Bobby Moore this, Bobby Moore that, and everything. It was kind of accepted that he was head and shoulders above everyone else, and the rest was just kind of fit around him, you know? Yeah, totally. No, I get that. And and yeah, I mean, it's, it's and that, that's what I love about this channel is that the whole idea is, you know, having this sort of caveat that you have to be alive to have seen and play means yeah. that not everyone, everyone will just put, you know, if, if it was like your dream team of West Ham, everyone would put Bobby Moore in. But no, yeah. but, you know, I've never I've never experienced seeing him play or the man. So it's like yeah. it's just an empty 
empty gesture of me, really. Where yeah, obviously yeah. you've and um, more of the more of the experienced fans, I call you, Jim. Don't call you. <laughs> um, they, um, yeah, yeah, not old gits. No, they, yeah, the experienced fans. Um, having the memory, having those sort of personal stories about Bobby and about Jeff, and you know whether or yeah, John yeah. Childs and, and people like this, who you know it, it means so much more than me just saying or a twenty-year-old bloke going, yeah, I'm going to put Bobby Moore in, in set, set the backs. Why? Oh, yeah. Because he's Bobby Moore, he's like the legend. But if you sit, yeah. that's it, you know, yeah. that's all they know. Yeah, he's uh, he just was one of those players who um, he just didn't seem untroubled. Everyone else could be mm. like shirt hanging out, hair all over the place, and everything. And Bobby Moore just like he walked out of a, a salon and he was like immaculate, you know. It's just, and then that, I mentioned Mexico '70. You know, that was my first football book. Obviously, him playing against Pele in Brazil. Yeah. 1970 World Cup. I'm still regarded as one of the best ever defensive displays uh, by any defender, let alone an England defender. Well, England still lost the game one 0 It was a very West Ham thing to do, but uh, but you know he was uh, he was just there was no one could touch him. No one could touch him. No, totally um, right. Okay. Right, moving on. Yeah, go for it. Um, someone on the stick in front of the uh, back four because the midfield's a bit bit lightweight because they're very. <laughs> They're not great on tackling. So, uh, linking the midfield, just covering the defence, it's got to be Billy Bonds. Yeah, yeah. Billy Bonds was, um, for me, in the early 70s, the mid-70s, um, there were times when he was keeping West Ham up on his own. 73-74 um, season, he scored 13 goals. Now, admittedly, he was taking some penalties as well. But uh, he talk about having a captain who would lead by example. Mm-hmm. If Optus Stats had been around at that that time, I have no doubt Billy Bonds would have run further than anyone else. He'd have run faster than anyone else. He'd have put in more tackles than anybody else. You know, he'd been top of the Optus Stats season in, season out. Um, I mean, what a player. What a dedicated professional. So quiet off the pitch, and yet turns into this pirate captain on the pitch. West Ham had a reputation as being a bit of a soft touch uh, in the 70s, going away from home, especially going up north. Um, and he he grew his beard out, and you had Frank Lampard had a beard, and, and Graham Padden had a beard, and Keith Robson came in. He was a hard Geordie, and he had a beard, and it really was like captain, uh, a pirate captain leading his uh, marauding troops. And it just gave West Ham a bit of a senior edge. And of course, we won the cup in '75, um, and we won it again in '18. He was captain both times. Um, he's just somebody like him. He was. Jeff Hurst had left West Ham, and Jeff Hurst being my first Hammer hero, if you like. Billy Bonds was the man for years for me. Just you just couldn't want anyone more committed than Billy Bonds. Um, no. And it, it just you know cut cut him, and he bled claret and blue, and he got cut quite a few times in some of the chances he put in, and it didn't stop him. He was a brilliant, brilliant player. Yeah, and as you said, so different from his his sort of non-playing sort of character do you know what i mean yeah. so like humble so quiet yeah, yeah. um well, obviously... I mean, he, he i don't think um i mean by all accounts because I, mean, I never had to deal with him with him being my manager but by all accounts he wasn't a very great man manager um and wasn't great in relating to people in that respect but uh, again you know was totally committed to to the cause and it hurt him when he lost his job big time i know that he's uh, he and harry redknapp haven't spoken about it since um but you know, he just—he is—he is the club, and what a perfect person to take over from Bobby Moore, if you like. This is after Bobby Moore had uh, left 
West Ham. Billy Bonds kind of already was stepping up to be Mr. West Ham, and he was for many years. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. And obviously, you know, when he, we got the uh, the stand named after him last season, you know. Yes. Um, uh, the club now have made some moves to kind of, yeah. you know, hold the olive branch out and say, look, you know, we recognise everything you've done for us in the past. Yeah. The sad thing there was he, he, he was twice selected for the England squad. And, and one time he was in, Parks injured him. Um, and another time he sat on the bench and he didn't come on. And I just, because Frank Lampard had his one cap. I think Paul Gollard had one cap. He was one of these guys who thought if he could just have one England cap, he deserved it. Yeah. He did it. He just didn't get it. And you see some people who've had an England cap who just not even oh, to breathe the same air as Billy Bonds. But. Well, it's true. And you, we have, yes, Julian Dix as well. You know, it's like it's, yeah. all these players, you know, I mean, Phil Parks was, was probably born about two years too, you know, two years too oh, late. Yeah. We were before or after, you know, we would have got the tail end of Schultz or, or Ray Clements. He was Ray number Clements, three. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll put Billy in. Who's your next who's your next player then, Jim? Uh what should I do? Shall I go for, I'll go from um I'll go from left to right. Yeah, go uh, for so it. wide on the left, I've got three um players now. Um wide on the left, Alan Devonshire. Yeah. Dev, Dev was was such a talented player. He um I, I, you hear people talk about how George Best could glide over the worst pitches known to mankind. And you can find YouTube clips of him doing that. Yeah. Dev was in the same mould. He he could he could float around the pitch. He could he could flick the ball wherever it needed to go, he could flick it and then before the defenders uh, realised what he'd done, he'd run around them. The ball was being passed back to him and he was away. It was it was just he was such a good player and he he got clobbered a few times. He was always getting kicked up in the air. Yeah. And he had two long term injuries and again in the the days before the internet and Sky Sports News and everything, at one stage we, we were convinced someone had bumped him off because he went missing for about two years. Um, but uh, he was such a great, uh, great man to watch and, and so creative. Um, and again, when you sort of talk about actual memories, I mean, he scored against Everton in the FA Cup semi final replay where he did that kind of thing I was talking about the one two, he ghosted in and then plonked the ball in the far corner. Um, but one of my favourites was Chelsea away in 85-86 when West Ham demolished Chelsea 4-0. Yeah. Absolutely annihilated them off the park. Um, and he scored the opening goal with, um, I think someone took a free kick, just tapped it to the side and he curled it in from like 25, 30 yards. Um, just, and he was wearing this kit as well. And there were, it was, a, again, one of those crappy pitches and, and it wasn't a mark on him. He was just floating around doing his business. West Ham could have scored five or six that day, or even more, to be quite honest. Um, yeah, he was... Uh, I think that the problem with somebody like him is that he wasn't always in a fairly settled team that were doing well, but he played badly. You never came out of there thinking, well, Dev was off the pace today or he wasn't in his game. Sometimes he was just thinking far quicker than some of the players around him. Um, and he's—I uh, I think he'd be suited to the modern game. To be quite honest with you, uh, he's—he was that skillful that he—I think he'd, he'd quite happily fit. And I know that there's a lot revolves around fitness these days, but he was such a such a pleasure. No, I, I totally agree, and, and, and you're right. You know, and that's something I have—I didn't appreciate till I started probably doing the channel because obviously I started to watch a lot of old play old games, and you forget yeah. how how these people would like you glide and do these be incredibly tricky 
like, and quick on these bogs of pitches. And I watched that Chelsea game because we interviewed Frank McAvelli and he was saying it was an, it was a, one of the worst pitches he's ever played on. And and you look yeah, at it, and it was. It was just mud. And, you know, to, to do what they sad, from what I remember. Yeah, I don't know what they've done to it. They used to let cars drive in the side of Stamford Bridge as well. I don't know if that's how they let the disabled fans in, but it looked like someone had driven across the pitch. It was in dreadful condition. But, oh, what a day. Yeah. But that still ranks as my favourite ever away day. Really? Because it'd been quite a bit leery outside before the game, as you can imagine, with a West Ham-Chelsea match. Oh, yeah. um, but to get in the ground and, and to just, from almost the first kick, we just dominated them. And like I said, we, we could have scored more than that. Jeff Pike missed one, which he would normally have away. Um, and Georgie Paris had a chance as well. I mean, just everyone was getting in on the act. It was just one of those days. Oh, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Brilliant. That's what we like to see. Right. Okay. We'll put Dev on the left. Kerry, yeah. just, just carry on, man. Um, in the middle, I'll go into the middle because it's yep. someone who played again through the through the decades, Trevor Brooking. Mm. Um, Trevor Brooking's one of those funny players that uh, he couldn't really tackle. He couldn't, couldn't really head a ball apart from a couple of notable occasions. <laughs> uh, he had no pace and yet Look how long he played at the top level. Um, but also, when West Ham got relegated, he had opportunities to move and he turned them down. He said, no, West Ham's my club. Mm. Uh, he could have twice, he, he was offered decent uh, money to move away and he stuck with us through through the bad times as well. Um, and, uh, this term intelligent footballer, just because he's quite eloquent and he obviously has got quite a good level of intelligence, people say, oh, he was an intelligent footballer. But I do mean from a footballing point of view, he was an intelligent footballer mm. because he was already working out where people were going to be moving to. And so that gained him that extra yard of space that he needed to play the right pass. And there's one thing I, I noticed from quite a young age, I noticed when he was about to flip the ball away to a side you weren't expecting to flick it, for some reason he used to stick his tongue in his cheek like that. He would be running along doing this. And I'll be thinking he's going to flick the ball out any minute. It's one of those things you notice when you're a fan of your and you suddenly spot something that someone does. Then you can't not spot it in future. But the amount of times he'd do that, he'd poke his tongue in his cheek and then the ball would suddenly be pinged over there or, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, what a great servant for the club and, uh, oh, yeah. as well. Um, and it did, it did infuriate me at times that he wouldn't like kick someone up in the air now and again. You think he must be getting frustrated here, especially yeah. times when he was getting pushed all over the place. But... But yeah, but, I mean, what what a magical player! Yeah, you're right, and 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 you say you're, you're totally right. You know, going down into the essence of the championship in in modern money, uh, and staying there, but still playing regularly for England as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such well, a that bizarre was the thing. It, it was said that you know if he didn't if he didn't make a move, then he wouldn't play for England again. And some of the managers at, at the time were like, well, "We really need players who are playing at the top level." Didn't phase him and didn't stop him getting into the team either. Um, so yeah. Uh, the loyalty, uh, the loyalty alone is a big plus. But um, just just to watch the watch the guy play football was yeah. was a dream. Yeah. Um, put Trevor in. Who's who's your next player then, Jim? Well, obviously Trevor Brooking will be number ten. Um, yeah. Wide right is going to would be another number ten if I could have two tens on shirts in the team. We'll have to call him number seven. Uh, is Paolo Di Canio? Yeah. Um, and I know I know he's got his detractors who say, oh, you can never rely on him and everything. But honestly, if you turned up for a game and for some reason he couldn't play, he was injured or whatever, you'd be deflated before the game had even started. So true. So because true. you just, 
the guy was literally capable of doing anything and he could be, he could be absolute rubbish for 20 minutes 30 minutes or whatever you know that um that uh, uh, game against Bradford, where he was like trying to be substituted, and he had enough being kicked all over the place, and then you know let, helped lead the fight back. Um, but just some of the things that he did on a football pitch. I mean, one of my favourite matches were playing Arsenal, and Martin Keown had obviously been given the task of shacking and making sure he didn't do anything. And I don't think Martin Keown got within a yard of him. But he turned Keown inside out over and over again. And Keown's not shy in putting in a, a heavy tackle and trying to make his presence felt. Um, and for the winning goal in that game, he sort of flicked the ball one side and Keown went that way and he flipped it the other side and put it away. Um, and then that goal against Wimbledon, I'd actually, we used to, at that stage, we had seats at the front row of the chicken run, but down at the South Bank end. And I was late to the game and I didn't get in until about seven minutes after kickoff. And I was worried actually that the gates were going to be locked when I turned up. I managed to get in, so I'm running down the front, hello to everyone who you recognise, obviously people who've sat there for years, get to my mob, and I just pulled myself under the barrier and sat down and said hello to everyone, and I looked up just to see Trevor Sinclair ping the ball across, and Di Canio scissor kick it into the far corner, and I was knackered because I'd run to the ground, <laughs> I'd run in, and I sat down, and everyone was like, whoa, and they're all up on their feet again, and I'm like, oh, I better stand <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if I'd been 30 seconds later, I'd probably missed one of the greatest goals in West Ham's history. So uh, it's it's funny. It's funny. It's the stories around that. around that goal. You know, we've had we've had some funny ones. Like Ian Dale was stuck in the Blackpool Tunnel and missed it. We had uh, Benji Lanyardo's dad was had his back to the game when the goal happened, and you know, nah. it's, all these things it's absolutely brilliant. Like, where yeah. were you when Di Canio scored that goal? And uh, yeah. also, that was that was Freddie Canute's. Her home debut. I remember that because he was he was outstanding. I that game that. As well. Yeah, I, I remember um, Foley who was having a good game. Poor old Mark Vivian Foley. I mean, he was, was a, yeah. he was a great solid player for West Ham. But um, I agree with what you said about Paolo. You know, he was just he, he was he was that that whole period was entertainment, wasn't he? As you said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was volatile. You didn't know what was oh, going to happen from one yeah. minute to the next. But but he could embarrass the best players yeah. in the world on his day. Right. Seriously. Um, and I also believe when we went down in 2002, 2003 with that record number of points, um, if Glenn Roder hadn't been the manager, I don't think we'd have been in trouble in the first place because he, for some reason, Roder seemed to have it in mind that he needed to make an example of Di Canio to show that Roder was now running the club. Mm. It's not Di club. I'm the manager. I'm running the club. And the set twos they would have on the touchline um, and Roder would like actually drop to him from a few matches. The Canio scored nine goals in 18 matches that season. Now, if we'd had him around for a bit longer, I mean, we'd kill for someone who could score nine goals in 18 <laughs> matches. Um, but, you know, it wasn't to be any offer to stay on as well. He did. You know, the club wouldn't entertain the idea. Um, yeah. It was sad seeing him go to Charlton because I thought, well, we could definitely have used him uh, in the championship. But, Taylor V, that's the way of it. I mean, the time we did have him was a great time. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, uh, you talk about people who we've adopted from away from the area. He's, he's a classic example. Yeah. I don't know if you saw recently, he did that video wearing a West Ham shirt talking about keeping yourself safe in lockdown where he's juggling a football and he's gone. Yeah. Uh, 
He's obviously very close to his heart still. Yeah, I mean, he's he's I mean, he's inked. He's inked with West Ham. You know, he's got a tattoo. Yeah. And and what I loved about that video was it was a it wasn't like one of his shirts. It was like a 1950s 1960s retro yeah. shirt. So yeah, someone's it wasn't like bought a new that. Shirt kind of just handed to him, was it? Yeah. Exactly. So someone's either he's bought that or his PA or whatever. But still, there's there's been yeah. a process, a thought process got in there. No, I love yeah. it. I love him. Yeah. Absolutely box office. Okie dokie, Di Canio, Paolo Di Canio. Yeah, and then we've got um, two positions to fill up front. Yeah. Uh, one's a bit of a problem for me, so perhaps I better leave that till the end. Uh, one's an easy one, number nine, Jeff Hurst. Yeah, yeah. He's my first West Ham hero. Um, he he was penalty taker as well and used to have um, used to put quite a lot of welly into his penalties. Uh, a couple of Jeff Hurst things. First time I got to interview him was going to be a telephone interview. Um, and he was having a family day. So he said he was going to be at a pub uh, somewhere out in, somewhere in Hampshire. But he said, don't worry. He says, I'll phone you at whatever time we'd agree. So said, yeah, great. Um, that time came, was like about five, six minutes had gone by. And then suddenly my phone went. And a uh, very scratchy mobile line. So, oh, Jim, Jim, it's Jeff Hurst. Can you hear me? He was like, yeah, fine. He goes, I'm standing in a field. I've had to climb over a hedge. He said, there was no reception in the pub. He said, I'm standing on a little hill because there's some cows around here and I don't like the look of them. <laughs> I thought, I'm interviewing England's World Cup hat trick. And I'm making him stand on a, what sounded like a Probably pile a cow of cow pack. Oh, in a field. Um, and then the first thing I did was tell him off for making me cry when I was nine because he left West Ham to join Stoke. So uh, the first thing he got was a... Um, but also... Uh, Telling off terms, he had a penalty. West Ham played Stoke in an epic cup, uh, League Cup semi-final encounter in 71-72. And in the second leg, West Ham won the first leg. And I think I think we'd won the first leg 2-1. one nil down in the second leg. So if the way goals had counted, I think we'd have gone through. But we had a penalty and Jeff Hurst stepped up. Jeff Hurst always scored his penalties. Gordon Banks was in goal. First banged one in as usual, and Banks somehow, as he's diving down, got his hand to it, and it just fizzed over the bar. And it's—I mean, I was—I was in tears. It was the first time I cried as a West Ham fan. Couldn't believe that we'd not beaten Stoke, and it went to another replay, and then we eventually lost. Um, but again, years later, I got to interview Gordon Banks. There's a bit of a theme to my interviews. It's like you made me cry when I was nine years old, um, and. Again, a lovely old fellow, Gordon Banks. He proceeded to describe in exact detail his thought process because he, he said that's one of the, the moments that he remembered as a professional mm-hmm. that really stood out in his career. So, again, I go back, I keep trying to worry about how fortunate I've been over the years. But when there have been moments that have affected you as a child, as a football fan, and then you're able to ask the actual people involved in later years what was happening, what was going on. It's such a privilege to have been able to have done that, um, and I, I, you know, I do treasure all those those moments that I've I've been able to. I'm fortunate enough to be able to be in that position to do that. Uh, so yeah, so Jeff Hurst um, uh, is in there. I, subsequently, he was at some London 2012 thing. And I took my lad along because uh, my lad would have been about five at the time, and uh, and took took him in and introduced him to Jeff Hurst and everything. And I was chatting about this to my lad the other day, and he's, he can't remember a thing about it, but he can remember me buying him a can of Fanta on the way out. He's like, how can he remember that? that that's the <laughs> same as my daughter. She's exactly the same. It's the minutest. Oh, yeah, we had chips on the way home. What? Yeah. 
It was in Hyde Park at one of these Olympic sort of village type things. He's just met Jeff Burst. He's like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. We had a fancy and a hot dog, didn't we? He was like, how the f***? Honestly. But, yeah, so Jeff Burst is in there. Now, the other other striker is is kind of a double act. It's very hard to split them up. And I've I've mulled over this long and hard, and I really don't know what to do, Russ. I really don't know what to do. It's Machiavelli Cotty. Yeah. Well, how do you separate McAvenny Cotty? I mean, you know, McAvenny got 26 goals and Cotty 20 in that 85-86 season. Yeah. Um, Tony Cotty, that his debut goal against Tottenham when he was 17, magical moment. Um, some great goals. I remember he scoring a goal when we came back and beat Chelsea 5-3. He scored a kind of overhead kick, scissor kick. I don't think that's on YouTube anymore. I don't think it was on the telly no, at the I time. I didn't see it the other day, actually. Nottingham Forest, he got another one where it was a kind of sideways scissor kick. But McAvenny, that 85-86 season, um, you probably won't uh, be aware, I don't know, but there was a TV blackout uh, in terms of football until January. So there was no football on the television. So McAvenny had only just joined West Ham and he was like a secret weapon because no one even knew what he looked like um, until he he appeared on the Wogan show, I think, around September time. It was the first look anyone had had of uh, outside of West Ham beaten up to that stage of, of who Frank McAvenny was. Um, and we had a pre-season game again. I mean, our first sighting, we had a pre-season friendly away at Cambridge and uh, the, the stadium announcer says, and now coming on for West Ham is Frank McKeven Vanee. And we're like, who the f- is this Frank McKeven-y bloke? <laughs> and he came on and I think there's about he beaten two people and curled the ball into the far corner. And he'd come on as a midfielder. He wasn't playing yeah. as a um, So And then away against Birmingham, first game of the season, we lost 1-0. I remember Mark Ward's, that might have been Mark Ward's debut. He, he had a cracking shot. We think he's a useful player. And again, Machiavelli was was playing a sort of advanced midfield role. Was it Paul Goddard? Yeah. Sorry, I've really gone off on one here, but I yeah, think been Paul Goddard was strike and he got injured. Yeah. So then Machiavelli had to move up front for the next games. And then something clicked. Yeah. don't know what it was, but my God, we went, I think we lost three out of the first four games that season and then we just ran away. You know, there's no stopping us after that. Yeah, no, it's true. I remember someone, someone mentioned uh, about McAvenny when they, when they signed, when he signed and they'd, they'd never heard of him. And I think it was a pre-season game at Orient and um, they thought he was Italian. Um, because he had these like flowing blonde locks, and he like he called him like yeah. called him Frank Macaroni. That was his nickname for him. Yeah, like, yeah. He's this, this this blonde Adonis, you know. But it was uh, well, known about him. Yeah, he just like come out of nowhere. Yeah. The transfer fee we paid for him to St Mirren was pretty minimal, um, and he certainly hadn't been brought as an out and out goal scorer. So yeah, those first few months of that season, we were just running right. You know, we were scoring goals for fun uh, with Cotty and McAvenny. I think um, uh, Tony Cotty was very focused on on just doing what he needed to do to score goals. Whereas I think Frank McAvenny was more could link up more with the midfield players and was like you know more of a kind of all round footballer. Um, as I'm not denigrating Tony Cotty's contribution, obviously. No, not me. Cotty to pieces, which is why I can't. I can't separate the two. I don't know which one. I'm tossing well, I think the what we do, I think what we can do, what we can do, Jim, is we can we can assume that you know anywhere north of Watford, Paolo won't be in. So, <laughs> so you can, oh, we, can, we, can 
<laughs> yeah, apart from Old Trafford and Everton, obviously when he picked the yeah, yeah. when he when he caught the ball. So I, I'm not going to ask you to split the difference, Jim, because I I think I think it's too it's too uh it's too close to your heart, man. But we can they'll both yeah. be in the squad. We'll just I'm getting soft in my old age, Jim. But I can see your <laughs> I can see your hurt. I can see your worry and your oh, anxiety. Man, honestly, I've not agonised about anything so much. <laughs> Think which one to put in, you know? And again, you know, we, we had both of them rejoin the club. Yeah. Just remember the buzz around the club both times when both players uh, came back. You know, I remember we, I think we were playing away at Norwich in a midweek match when it was announced McAvenny was coming back, but he, he obviously hadn't been signed in time to play in this match. And I remember standing in a pub in Norwich and we were singing, "We've got our Frankie back." And you know, just it's, it's those moments, you know, shared moments as fans that you're yeah, looking forward to the to the return of a prodigal son almost. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's moments like that 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 just carry you through being it's 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 totally true. And you're you're right where you said, you know, it, it's those moments, it's those those funny moments where, you know, you're talking and there's a new chant or someone says something and they just yeah. stick in your mind. You know, as you said, you're playing Norwich. It's, it's the same as when we talk about Paolo and, you know, when you turn up and you're thinking, who we're playing? Oh, we're playing Bradford City. You think, yeah. oh, oh, God. And we still talk about that game over 20 years later. You know, we played yeah. Bradford City, but... It's all those yeah. memories, and, and that's that's what's great about this. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jim, man, it's been it's been great chatting to you, man. It's been great chatting to you. It's been really, oh, it's really been fun. real fun. I mean, I, you know, there's there's other players. Just before I go, of I course, mean, if Dean Ashton hadn't got injured, I mean, what finisher that guy was! Mm. What a great player. I was I was pleased. I was able to take my lad to the the Mark Noble testimonial. Sure. And so he got to see Dean Ashton score an overhead kick and then virtually get carried off because he did himself in. Um, but, you know, and Craig Bellamy. I mean, Craig Bellamy. Again, had, them two. We had Everington, Dean Ashton and Craig Bellamy mm. as a front three bombing forwards. I'm like, oh, if that could have stayed together for a while. They would have been like my my Cotty, McAvenny and Ward and Dev. You know, it, it was like, yeah. it was there. The pieces were there. It's just, yeah. as with always at West Ham, it's always one injury or... Yeah, and, and Carlos Tevez, you know, we only had him for such a brief time, but again, what a contribution. No, not enough to muscle his way into a Munro 11 because he's, he's got to be around for a bit longer than half. But although first off wasn't his fault, he just wasn't picked by a certain Alan Pardew. But, yeah. um, but you know, there's the, the, some of the guys who've been around. And of course, Mark Noble. I mean, you know, I, I did think about where could I put Mark Noble in? Um it's tough in that it, team. It's tough in that yeah. in that midfield to get him in, isn't it? Yeah, you know, maybe he needs to become manager and lead us to a few uh, few successes. And put him in as manager. Yeah, to put his manager. That will do. Yeah, or at least first team coach. No, yeah, well, I mean, as I said, Mark, Mark's, you know, in essence, Mark's sort of my Billy Bonds because I was never around to see Billy play. Yeah. But he's my Mister West Ham, and you know, and I think yeah. you know, he's he's. Um, yeah, he's he's gonna be one of those players that are gonna that will stay around the club, obviously after he's retired. But the thing as well is, you know, you you like we like seeing players coming through from the academy yeah. and making yeah. it first team. I mean, that the playoff final in two thousand and five when we beat Preston one 0 and Mark Noble was in his tracksuit behind the goal, the first player to leap on Zamora when Zamora scored. You know, and it's from, and here we are watching him all these years later. You know, fifteen years later, and he's West Ham captain, and yeah. just amazing to see that longevity. Uh, in, when when are there going to be any more one club 
They no. won't be. They won't be. No. It won't be Jimmy. It'll, it'll, it'll be the, the whole the whole concept of of staying for more than three years is alien to footballers nowadays or managers mm. as well. You know, it's like you're right. Yeah. I mean that that sort of that that era with with stretch. Check me out. Uh, with stretch and Reg and those people. It's like I know. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, when I interviewed Tony Gout, every year he was at the club was a testimonial year, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the whole concept of a testimonial is more of a uh, well, it, it's very rare. You know, I can just think of Mark Noble, yeah. Vincent Company, Gary Neville, Carragher. I can't mean. Yeah, you know, it's it's true. I've never actually thought of that recently, but you're right. You know I mean, back in uh, back back in the day, yeah, there was testimonials all the time for, yeah. for a lot of the West Ham. Uh, you just don't get anyone around. Yeah. Although technically, Winston Reid is up for ten years because we signed him in 20, after the 2010 World Cup. Right. So I think next year will be his if he, yeah. So it uh, would be a testimonial year. But you're right. I mean, I mean, he's yeah. Not Mark's banging on 500 appearances, isn't he now? So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think he's got two more or something like that, and he's hit 500, which is, which is phenomenal. Absolutely. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I don't know, we've been lucky enough to have some players coming. I mean, Liam Brady when he came in, I know it was the back. Yeah. But you know what? Another wonderful footballer. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> when he scored that goal in the last minute of his last appearance against Wolves, I was one of the Herberts running on the pitch to pat him on the head. You just couldn't help yourself. But I remember hearing an interview with him not long after. He said he went running to the chicken run to celebrate the goal and saw the chicken run was running towards him. He was like, whoa, hang on. Brilliant. Don't know what to do. Um, you can actually pick me out on the video of that goal as well. I've just pointed out to my son a few times, boring him to death in all my West Ham well, you know, I've passed it on. It's a family thing. I mean, we, yeah. we live between Arsenal and Tottenham. And and he's been flying his claret and blue flag since nursery school. Mm. And has not been swayed by uh, by the locals. He's, uh, he's stuck with West Ham. So, fair play to him. He's, uh, I've inflicted that on him for the rest of his life. And hopefully, yeah, well, yeah. his children in time to come. And, yeah. Same, same, know, as, my, same as my resort. daughter. Same as my daughter. It's taken a while. But I think with the emergence of the, of the women's team, as well, it's yeah. really like you know we 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 live you know, five minutes away from Rush Green, ten minutes away from Rush Green. Oh right. So yeah. um so yeah so you know when when if it goes back in all we we go there quite a bit. It's a couple of quid to get in, and she loves. Well, it, I know we, we had um, season tickets. I think it was like twenty quid for the two of us, or, or ten quid and five quid or something. I mean, it's ridiculously cheap. Mm. Uh, obviously, the the season kind of disappeared, but. Um, uh, but yeah, because we were going to go to a few of the women's games when the the, the first team were away, yeah. um, uh, and they play on Sundays as well, don't they? So give us yeah, Sundays, it's, yeah, it's, Sunday. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, they play at good, good times to get there, and that's probably why they do it, isn't it? So they, so they yeah, don't yeah. have to choose between obviously when they got to the FA Cup final, and then there was the you know people oh, leaving oh, half time yeah. from London Stadium to get to the FA Cup final, and you yeah. know you don't have to have that conflict of interest anymore now, but. Uh, no. Yeah, no, it's all good. Jim, man, it's been brilliant. It's been lovely yeah, it's been chatting to you. Seriously, thank you so much. I've enjoyed thank every so second of it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And obviously, thank you to everyone for watching as well. You know, like, share, subscribe, you know, all that stuff. I mean, Jim, Jim's, Jim's got a YouTube channel, a gaming YouTube channel as well. Have a yeah, go at that. It's called Bad Lad Dad. It's all Bad WWE Dad. wrestling games, though, so I'm sure people won't be interested. But uh, we did have that. Uh, just again, I've started talking again. We did uh, film at West Ham's last game uh, Upton Park, me and the lad. He was holding the camera in the car while I was driving and then there's us in the ground just chatting away and the crowd singing and some of the fireworks and everything. So there is a West Ham video on there. Um, oh, but, but yeah, yeah, people Brilliant. want to check it out. 
Sounds great. Sounds lovely, Jim. Um, And until next time, everyone, from me and Jim, take care, everyone. We'll see you again very, very soon. And to close, I like to do the crossed hammers, Jim. It's up to you if you want to do it. But that's That's how I like to close my videos. Come on. Yes. Take care, everyone. See ya. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.